Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. For episode 30 of the Drive Nation podcast, we've got a really good topic, I think. We're going to be talking about racetrack design and what it is that makes certain racetracks brilliant to drive around and to spectate at and others not so great. Um, I wish I could say that this was by design, but it's actually a total fluke. Uh, This is a really good time to be talking about racetrack design because as this goes out, we will have just had the Eiffel Grand Prix at the Nürburgring, um, of course, on the modern GP circuit. And there's no venue anywhere in the world that better demonstrates the difference between a characterful old racetrack, albeit a dangerous one, the Nordschleife, and their sort of less spectacular, safer, modern counterparts. Um, so that's sort of what we're getting stuck into in this podcast. Um, but before we, we do that, we have got, well, a, a related topic um, to chat about quite quickly, Andrew, because you've just been driving a really quite special car on quite a cool racetrack. Uh, yeah, I mean, this does kind of qualify because it is, oh, yeah, it's a, it's a car on a track, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. so I've just been, uh, I've just got, I've just on my second trip of the year. Can you believe it? We're in October. <laughs> um, but uh, this was uh, something I felt was well worth getting on a plane for. I went to Vallelunga, which is uh, a very old historic racetrack just to the north of Rome. Um, and there, there was the Porsche. They didn't call it 911, actually. They call it the RSR 19, but the current, um, you know, GTE WEC um, Ultimate 911 race car. In fact, the one I was in was the one that um, was racing at Le Mans uh, only a few weeks ago, um, and I got quite a good go in it. So uh, yeah, I'm feeling like a, a like a very lucky boy at the moment. And the the strange thing about that car, of course, is that unlike every other 911 before it its engine isn't in the back no um so in i think they did it for the 2017 season didn't they um and 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 i thought they must have gone to the other teams and begged some kind of waiver because you can do this as long as the other teams agree you can break all sorts of rules um but in fact no the reason it's mid-engined 
it gets away with it is because it sits ostensibly at least on the same platform as the Cayman and the Boxster uh, which are mid-engined and it is that um, which allowed them to do it Uh, and the reason they did it was very simply when Bootsy Porsche was designing the 911 in 1963 he didn't give an awful lot of attention to the fact that one day nearly 60 years later somebody was going to need to run an enormous diffuser onto the back of the car um, to maximise the um, the downforce of, from the air coming underneath the car. Uh, and so he put an engine in the way, which wasn't very convenient. Um, and so they moved it. And now they've, they literally, they flipped it through 180 degrees. So the gearbox um, now comes out the back rather than the front. And um, the entire engine is ahead of the rear axle line. And where it once was is now a bloody great diffuser. So that's it. So this is the RSR 19. So even compared to the RSR 17, which was the first in the mid-engine racing 911s, they say this car, in terms of its component count, is 95% new. Um, <laughs> and wow. I did ask them what was left over from the road car um, that they could point to. And uh, they mentioned the rear lights. Um, and I said, oh, so the rear lights are... <laughs> are the same he said no no not the real lights just the covers so the plastic covers are the real lights are the same um and he thought he wasn't sure the badge on the front might be the same that's literally it but if you want to understand just how how they see it how porsche motorsports see it they don't talk of it um or even describe it in their literature as being a race version of the porsche 911 they describe it as, and I'm quoting almost literally, a single-seat racing car made compliant for FIA WEC uh, regulations. That's how they see it. So it's a seat, they regard it as a racing car, which they just have to kind of pull and push a bit about and, and, until it kind of looks like a 911 and, and is therefore compliant with those regulations. So that gives you a bit of an idea of what you're taking on when you strap yourself into one of these things and it's about as different from if we go to the other end of the racing 911 spectrum to the cup car you know the kind of cars that support the btcc um which are fabulous things i mean they're really really hairy monsters um the gte car is just like it's just completely different i mean um, they they actually feel completely unrelated um particularly in terms of of is that because they are (laughs) <laughs> well i was thinking well they both got sort of flat six engines in them um, <laughs> okay they both got porsche badges on the front they yeah, uh, <laughs> but maybe not the same porsche badge but maybe not the same porsche but i don't know i don't know but no they're very very different animals wow okay so the the, the thing about the cup cars is that they have no aids whatsoever that's right isn't it no abs yeah, nothing at and all that's, and, that's and, one of the things i like most about them and they're they're famously quite tricky to drive i've not you've i know you've had a go i've never tried one but everyone i've speak i've spoken to who has had a go tells me that they they can bite i i think i have i think i have a slightly unfair advantage in that um almost all the racing i've ever done has been in historics so i'm you know it's, it's just because it's you know it's where i come from that you know i, I don't expect to have any kind of yeah, assistance, assistance really. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And where, where actually where I struggle is when you get into things like GT3 cars, which have you know, all the assistance in the world. Um, I can't get my head around um, the way you can muller the brakes and then just jump on the throttle and knowing that the ABS will save you on the way in and the traction will save you on the way out. Um, so the um, the GTE car 
sort of splits the difference between those because you do have traction control and you can vary that for a its intensity and b its point of actuation um but you don't have abs um so you can you know you so you could still completely ruin your tires on an outlap and be completely stuffed for the entire stint um that said <laughs> i did when i was in it i just thought okay because it, what they, they they've got lights on the dash telling you when tires are about to lock so it wasn't like i was gonna completely torch these things so i went down the straight at valalunga at well i mean you get into sixth gear and it's only got six gears so you're going to be going quite fast uh, and i just decided i was going to stand on the brakes literally as hard as i could press didn't see a thing not a flicker of a light i didn't even begin to trigger the abs i mean you can at low speeds when there's no downforce on the car um because it's still got steel brakes because they're not allowed carbon ceramics but at high speed when it's got so much downforce leaving there's just no way i could lock them up i'm six foot four i'm quite a big bloke um <laughs> and, and i couldn't do it that's amazing isn't it it's that yeah. the brake pedal pressure that you have to put into a proper racing car is yeah, staggering unbelievable. To, to anyone more accustomed to road cars but the the skill in braking in one of those cars i guess like any high downforce cars bleeding off the the pedal Correct. pressure as the aero yeah. comes down yeah yeah uh, while obviously at the same time um you know turning into a corner um you know these cars are i mean well i mean maybe i should just sort of um talk you through it a bit you know there's always the perception i mean i've always had the perception that you know the the faster and more expensive um and more trick these cars get then clearly they have to be more difficult to drive because you know you need better more professional racing drivers to drive them it's actually not true um you know and it's not just me saying this Uh, i would say that it's just as a thing to get in and drive fast a cup car is a much harder car to drive than um a wec car now there you know there are reasons for that you know wec cars have to do 24-hour races and they have to you know look after exhausted drivers but they also have you know massive levels of technical sophistication um and huge amounts of downforce and downforce just makes everything easier um and it's you know and the way the rsr got around a track um i was saying to you dan wasn't i just before we uh came uh before we started this podcast that it felt to me sort of like halfway between a cup car and a prototype um and and it really does the way you can you know you were talking about um bleeding off the brake pedal and getting um that speed off um while you're losing downforce and you know you have to do that while at the same time turning into a corner because if you're not basically breaking all the way up to the apex you're using huge amounts of time there and you know the car's got so much grip it's traveling so fast and you're really really wondering about you know whether it's really that wise to tread that hard on the pedal and then wondering how to get but in fact it just does it all for you and you can really really overthink it um, and probably get yourself into huge amounts of trouble but if you just trust the car that the car will just forgive you your own, you know, um, inadequacies. Um, it'll just do it for you. And <laughs> it, it, it is amazing. I mean, I've been... So the reason I'm sounding slightly hesitant is I'm just trying to work out which, which way I find more engaging. I mean, certainly the RSR was absolutely spectacular. Um, you know, I can remember, just as an example, during some of the high downforce corners, because the, I, mean, I, don't, I never think about my legs when I'm driving a racing car, because why would you? But I was aware that uh, there were these things 
waving around in front of me because there's nothing to secure in the car and you know i wasn't strong enough to stop you know in right hand corners you know then head, heading off in one direction and left hand corners my legs sort of going back off in the other direction and, and the other drivers who were in the car said the same thing um because it's not like you're in a single seat car where your legs are down a channel um you know they're just kind of waving around and that gives you perhaps some impression of the forces um that are on your body and you're sitting there thinking this is incredible and you're thinking secretly they're actually a bit of a driving god because you can control this thing uh, until you then get until you then go and see how the pros do it and you realize that you're not you are the bungling amateur you always were um but um so there's that massively impressive approach and then there's the cup car which in terms of its you know apex speed and deceleration and that sort of thing i mean you know i can remember being told in the cup car not to put more than about 40 bars worth of pressure into the brake pedal because otherwise you'd be you'd lock them up and you'd flat spot the tires and that sort of thing well you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if i wasn't using double that in the rsr and not getting wow. anywhere and not getting anywhere near the abs um so that gives you know, but you know, the thing about the cup car is, you know, if if you are used to cars moving around on you, um, which I am just because of racing old cars, um, then actually you can have, I would say, probably more fun. It's less amazing, um, but you're skidding about and you're oversteering and you're understeering and you're balancing the car on the throttle and you're kind of having a hoot. You feel more involved. You feel more kind of on the stage in the thick of the action than you know sitting in the stalls just watching it all play out in front of you um so if i could drive one again of course i'd get back in the rsr because it's an rsr and it was absolutely bloody amazing but um what it isn't is just like it's it what it's it, it doesn't make those other experiences seem silly by comparison at all it's just different um so no very lucky boy to have done that um and if i haven't already i'll obviously write it up on um on the dn um instagram page as well that sounds really fantastic i'm I, yeah i'm i'm particularly jealous of that one um so valalinia just a moment on that because we are talking about racetracks um in this podcast so what are your, what are your thoughts on that circuit my thoughts on that circuit is i wish they hadn't put a chicane where the fast corner is there's a there's a basically Valalunga you come past the pits and there's a flat left and then there is what looks like an absolutely epic right hand corner in fact it is because I've been there before and other stuff um but only road cars um and it's a monumental right and probably very wisely um there's also a chicane option so they you can cut out the corner uh, and Porsche decided to exercise that option and so we we were sent through that um uh, but you know these cars—they cost a million euros each. Um, you know, that's what three times the price of a GT3 car. And when you drive it, you'll see why. Um, so you know, fair enough. But I mean, as a circuit, it was—it's a good circuit. It's not a great—it's not a great circuit. It's got some nice combinations, but it's not what it isn't. Is it's not, you know, the open, flowing, fast circuits. You know that I think most people like more than any other. It's quite technical um and you know there's apart from that one corner there's nothing truly high speed i mean there are i mean you know the final corner coming onto the pit straight it looks on a map quite tight but something like the rsr is so quick um that you can really feel the downforce building through there and there's a quick chicane out the back which is quite like the ascari chicane at monza um so a good circuit with lots of good history but um not one of the greatest i would say so, okay, so from a driver, it begs the question, really, from a driver's point of view, what is it that makes a great 
circuit and is there can we sort of narrow it down to its essence it's that that essential factor is it flow is it rhythm yeah it's it's interesting isn't it i mean if i th- if i think about it not too hard that's what i that, that's what i arrive at if i think about the circuits that i love most um be it spa be it goodwood um be it silverstone they are circuits that flow aren't they they are circuits which are i mean they're quite high speed circuits but they've got combinations and they don't have lots of sort of you know stop chicane short straight squirt stop chicane short straight squirt. so so i think that's it um and the only note of hesitancy in my voice is there are some circuits which aren't like that um i have uh, sorry about this but i i I did once race at monaco i think i think i've owned up to this once on this podcast um which is the absolute antithesis of that um and i found it spellbinding um uh, so but I don't know whether that's because it's Monaco and because I was just completely starstruck just by being there or what. But uh, how, how about you? What what does it for you when you get on a track? I think it's flow and rhythm um, that allows you to, for corner after corner, really feel like you're at the limit of what the car wants to do. Um, I think, yeah, I, you need you need some quick corners, don't you? If it's all very low speeds to switch back stuff. I think it can get, it's a bit too technical and quite frustrating. I think you do need a couple of ballsy corners as a minimum. Um, but just thinking about what for me makes a great circuit. I, I love those tracks that head in that sort of intrepid way into the woods, you know, <laughs> that just that, that go off into the yeah. scenery. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking spa, old Hockenheim, the Nordsch Life, of course, but even Brands GP, yes, the full-length Brands Hatch Grand Prix track. Yeah. There's something intrepid, as I say, and adventurous about diving into the woods, not really knowing if you're going to come back. And I think it's because it's a it's a common trope in fairy tales and parables, isn't it? Going into the woods, unsure if you'll return. There's just something about that that really speaks to me, and I I find it quite moving in a weird way. This is um, this is this is quite profound for us, isn't it? I know. What should we backtrack and re-record? No, that absolutely bit? <laughs> not. I'm lo- no, I'm loving it. Keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, I I realised it when I was at the Nurburgring 24 hours when I I don't know a decade or so ago, sat um, in probably in some hospitality unit, frankly, um, near to where the GP loop joins with the Grand Prix, the Nordschleife, um, and just watching the cars going up around the left and then on to the 13-mile track. And just and it was at night, and I was just thinking, wow, you've got seven or eight minutes of madness and mayhem in front of you. As that, you know, as watching each car going around, they're thinking, for the next few minutes, whoever's driving that car is going to be wired on a high alert, you know? And I, I, there was just something bold and brave about it, and I was sort of mesmerised by that. I, I, I had exactly that same experience at exactly the same place when uh, Timo Bernard in the Porsche 919 Evo um, smashed the old um, Nordschleife lap record. And he, um, the tyres were so soft that he couldn't do a warm-up lap. So he literally drove the wrong way around the circuit for a couple of hundred yards, turned around, and then just came up past us down that sort of old connecting road, the old pit straight. And then just disappeared into the middle of nowhere in this car. 
aiming to do something that had never been done before. And we all collectively, uh, figuratively held our breath because, you know, you're not gone long before you can't hear the car anymore. And then you're just sitting there waiting, trying to hear something and wondering whether that's it or is it something going down the road or whatever. And then he's back. And it's just it's just monumental. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. There is something, um, you know, quite romantic about doing that sort of thing, which, you know, on the old, particularly on the English airfield concrete circuits, however great they may be, like Silverstone, you just don't get, do you? Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and uh, you've teed me up nicely there because I was going to talk about UK tracks. We're, we're so lucky to have... Um, as many circuits as we do, but also as many really great circuits as we do here in the UK. And our tracks broadly are divided into one of two camps, aren't they? We've got airfield circuits, tracks that were built around old airfields, such as Silverstone, Castlecombe, Thruxton and Goodwood. Um, And they have a very, very distinct character because, well, they originated as perimeter road tracks. And, you know, if you plot four or five points around a big airfield you and draw a circle or something like a circle around them you end up with a very very fast flowing track um and then the the other kind of circuit we have in the uk are parkland tracks um which you know alton park brands hatch donnington park and they have real gradient change um and they they're, they're very different in character to the airfield circuits um but I think we're just very privileged, aren't we, to have such a good selection of both types of track in the UK. And it's why racing here is so brilliant. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I'm just trying to work out which of those two types of track I prefer. I guess I'd always go for something with gradient. Um, I love just the sort of uh, when things go into three dimensions, because, you know, particularly when um you get you know all those dimensions coming together at once you know if you think of a corner like you know paddock hill bend at brown's hatch where you know it's a really quick corner but you also feel like you're falling off the end of the world when you're going through it um i i I love i love that cut that combination in a circuit that said i would say you know a really fast airfield circuit i'm thinking i mean they could be more different in character but i'm thinking goodwood and Silverstone um you know I'm really happy in a car than when going around places like that in fact I was I was going to ask you what is your favorite corner or your favorite combination of corners in the UK because I don't think I can do better than the Maggots Beckett's complex at Silverstone going on to when you're using the full Grand Prix circuit I just love the way that a it's all really fast b you have to it's slightly slower as you go through it so you can't just go steaming in there you have to keep thinking the positioning of the car is so important the technicalities as to in terms of what bits of which curbs you can use um the way it will show up um the limitations of your car the way that if you make a small mistake on entry it can compound all the way through the combination to you know a really big problem at exit i mean all these sorts of challenges they all come together in you know i don't know how long you're in that combination for but it's probably not more than sort of 10 15 seconds and you know everything i want in a racetrack is 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 there in those in those few in those few corners Mm, yeah totally it's 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 the obvious one almost, isn't it? Because it's such a distinctive and exciting bit of racetrack. Um, I really like, you've mentioned it, Paddock Hill going into Druids and then down to Graham Hill. I don't know why, but 
somehow I'm just able to do that little sequence sort of reasonably competitively. Um, it's hard to pick out one though. I mean, there are there are so many great sequences for different reasons as well. Actually, I, I also love the top of um, Anglesey partly because you know you've got the a really quick section into a little fiddly bit at uh, Rocket, the yeah. light, left hand at the end of the the fast bit of track, and then you go around the hairpin and then up through Peel, and then you pop up over um, the top of the circuit, and you ha- you have the most amazing vista in front of you. The best, to... the best view, almost, maybe of any circuit, is just when you go to the top there and, you, and you've just got the Irish Sea in front of you. And it's just stunning, isn't it? It's absolutely good. On a clear day, it's beautiful. Yeah. You can see the mountains in Snowdonia. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really special bit of track, that. Um, I think I like... I've done so little at Goodwood, but I love the idea, I suppose, of the quick corners there in an old car on um on cross ply tires um and just and just having spectated in the sort of tt the rac tt race um and just seeing the cars drift through those quick corners and that is exactly you know given the the, the chance that's exactly the type of driving and racing i would like to be able to do yeah i mean it's it's the it's the, it's the whole romance of the thing i mean it's it's very difficult to not be seduced by the whole thing and, and and that's not got actually an awful lot to do with the particular bit of tarmac that you're on i can remember i was very lucky to do one of those sort of day night races they do their way i mean it's not dark when you stop but you know it definitely lights on it's definitely dusk um and it was a beautiful day and just out around the back of the circuit when you come out of magic and you're going down through ford water and into st mary's um, if you're in something quite nice, which makes a nice sound, you just think, you know, I'm out here and I'm doing this. And it's a sort of pinch me moment. You just kind of, the sense of luck and privilege that you've got to have that experience. Um, you know, whatever else you go on to do, it never leaves you. Um, and I also, you know, I, because I'm, you know, I'm sad, I just get, I, I, I get completely wrapped up in the history and thinking about who else was, you know, went down this particular bit of tarmac and yeah. particularly with Goodwood because it genuinely has changed so little um, that you really can think, you know, I am following in the footsteps of Jim Clark and Jackie Stewart and Sterling and, you know, and all the other gods who, you know, who went round exactly the same bit of track, probably a bit faster than you were going. But nevertheless, it's, you know, if you ever want to experience what they experienced um in terms of the kind of tracks they raced on i mean i would say even the nordschleife has definitely been tamed from its original form far more than goodwood i mean goodwood basically hasn't been i mean they've obviously done a huge amount of work with runoffs and 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 that sort of thing but the track is the track and it goes where it's always gone um and is all the more amazing for that yeah Uh, it's i've done far too little driving at goodwood but um yeah, I must try and put that right. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think how fun a circuit is to drive also depends on the car you're driving. It, it, so it's such an obvious thing to say, but it's true, isn't it? Um, I remember doing a Caterham race at Snetterton and just not really getting on with it because I, I don't love the new Snetterton circuit. It's very it sort of turns back on itself a lot, and I find it quite fiddly. Um, and I what I, I want when I'm in a Caterham in particular. I want to be on a fast flowing circuit because when you get them up on their toes and you find yourself going in a gear higher than you have been previously, they're, they're just sublime through the quick stuff. Um, and there isn't a whole lot of that 
at, at Snetterton. But also, you know, if you're in a road car, you can get lost on a really wide, flat circuit. You know, I've driven stuff at Silverstone in road cars, and they kind of feel a little bit at sea. Um, whereas a track like Anglesey, somewhere a bit smaller, a bit tighter, um, it feels like the, like the right sort of place for, for a road car. You also get less of an impression of speed, don't you? I mean, if you think if you were doing, you know, the difference between doing 150 miles an hour down a narrow country lane, which of course you wouldn't do, or doing that down you know, a massive great V-bomb or runway, you know, one's going to feel like about 50 miles an hour and the other's going to feel like about 300. So it's it's actually, in terms of your perception of speed and which is a component of how much fun you have um yeah you're absolutely right the car does need to be matched um to the circuit and you know somewhere like silverstone uh and somewhere like spa um you need a big fast powerful car because otherwise it's just not going to feel that exciting yeah exactly right um do you think is it sort of broadly true that the older circuits are more exciting to drive I'm trying. I'm trying to think of circuits that I know that are exceptions to that rule. Um, and I can give that, you one. Well, Anglesey is not that old, is it? Well, that's true. That's, that's true. Um, yeah. But it's very much designed in the old school, isn't it? Um, okay. Well, I, I'm really looking forward to hearing your exception. Uh, no, I think that the older circuits are the better circuits, and I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure why that is, because you'd think. If you sat down to design a circuit from a clean sheet of paper, you'd do a better job than a circuit which just happened to pop up because that's where the roads happened to go or that's where the airfield was or whatever and just sort of turned up fairly random. You'd think that if you actually sat down to think about it, you'd come up with something better. But that doesn't... I don't wouldn't say that's been my experience. Somewhere like... Okay, somewhere like um, Cota, Circuit of the Americas. Um, I think that's good, a perfect good track. track. And it's and it is bloody amazing. Um, but so that would be my exception to the rule. What about you? Uh, well, it's not necessarily a racetrack, but um, Bilsterberg. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is just fantastic, isn't it? Um, it? A few people listening won't have heard of it, but it's a it's a modern track that's gone up in Germany. I can't remember exactly where in Germany it is, um, but it's. It's a proper roller coaster. It's one of these sort of driving resorts, I think, isn't it? Yes, exactly. um, it's like a, it's like a Scari, really, isn't it? But yeah, with a lot more attitude. My God! And if you're driving something quick, and we've done a few events there, haven't we? I, I remember doing. We did nine eleven Turbo S a few years ago, and we did AMG GTR. Um, and oh my God! It, particularly if you're chasing someone who's really on it. And, you know, Bern Schneider with Mercedes is always on it. That's the only mode he has. Um, you've, around that place, you frighten yourself. Um, there's got gradient changes. It's got really quick stuff. Um, you plunge down uh, really steeply at one point. It, and it, it's, it, it's like, it, I mean, it's obvious. It's a, such a cliche, but it is a roller coaster, that track. Yeah. What, uh, there's, one t- there's one little aspect of it, but I think it's very indicative of the entire attitude in the minds of whoever it was who designed it, which is that it actually happens on the straight. So you're barreling down the straight and you go into the braking area. And as you go into the braking area, they put bumps in 
It's not like they've just sort of turned up over the time. They've deliberately put in stuff designed to destabilize your car just when you need it to be its most stable. Um, and yeah, it's it, it's all the more nutty and, and completely brilliant. I'll tell you, and I'll tell you what, if you want to find out whether your car handles or not, my goodness, you'll find that around there because there's everything there, isn't there? I mean, I can remember being in a GT3 RS around there and really wondering to myself whether Porsche hadn't actually kind of made it a bit too challenging uh really really busy around there um but yeah proper sure. fun. um yeah i think particularly well any car you you need confidence in in your vehicle don't you for that circuit you, you have to feel like the car is nailed to the track um otherwise you're just going to frighten yourself so we, we've mentioned bilsterberg and cota and do you know who designed both of those tracks are you going to tell me they're both designed by the same person uh-huh go on herman tilke is Bilsterberg a Tilke track? Yep. I had no idea. It's interesting, isn't it? But Herman Tilke, he's, he's one of four... Uh, let me get this right. He's one of four um, circuit designers officially recognised by the FIA. But actually, he's the only... Or his business is the only um, one that's been used to design or redesign F1 circuits recently. Um, and he's come in for so much stick hasn't yeah he? Because... absolutely lots of it meted up by me I... yeah quite <laughs> so okay <laughs> just, let, let me read I had no idea let me read out some of his circuits uh sepang bahrain shanghai valencia marina bay yas marina and korea you know a lot of those are fairly unin sochi a lot of those are fairly uninspiring circuits aren't they um they don't encourage great racing they're not brilliant to spectate at or on, you know, on the TV. Um, I, I suspect they're not particularly exciting to drive. But then he's also done Cota and uh, Bilsterberg. So, you know, the guy gets it. He's, he, he was a racing driver himself. He's won VLN races, as far as I can tell, at the Nürburgring. Um, so the guy clearly understands what it is that makes a circuit brilliant. But I just wonder, though, if it's you know the limitations of a plot of land because all new circuits these days are built on a plot of wasteland aren't they rather than in the scenery like old tracks used to be and and i wonder as well if you know the safety um requirements actually kind of neuter the circuits a little bit um but yeah it's and maybe then if you get to do somewhere like bilsterberg which is a private entirely private facility where you can do presumably whatever you damn well like then the real herman tilker then emerges and he's actually a complete fruitcake who just likes going along (laughs) design who who, given the choice would design um completely crazy circuits and maybe he's had a lot of stick when in fact all he's been doing is working to you know a commission he's been provided which is to provide you know a safe circuit which you know no one's gonna regard as you know be i don't know being too dangerous and is therefore going to be at risk of being shot or whatever i don't know i don't know mm. very interesting yeah it is interesting and one of the people who has been very openly critical of tilka and his designs is jackie stewart um and he you know it's interesting that it should come from him because he's such a campaigner for safety improvements in formula one um but he he is quoted as saying that they're, they, they're largely carbon copies of each other, the circuits that, he's, that Tilke has designed. Um, and while Stuart sort of applauds the improvements in safety, he thinks that the 
Tilka's designs have gone too far the other way and made the racing um, quite uninteresting and they no longer penalise mistakes. And sadly, that's a, a common trait of modern circuits, isn't it? That they have enormous concrete runoffs and should you get your braking wrong or your line wrong or whatever and wander off onto those runoffs, there's no penalty. Yeah. Yeah, I mean Jackie is. I, mean, I, th- I think Jackie is quite misunderstood because I think I think a lot of people think that he was the bloke who took all the fun out of motor racing and everything. Else. But he never said. He never thought that circuits needed to be made more boring. Um, he just, you know. I, 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 but if you look back at, you know, so many of the accidents that claimed so many of his friends, um, you know, th- people like Francois Sever and Jochen Rint, you know, th- those guys died at least in part. Because, yeah, I don't know, guardrail hadn't been properly fastened or there was next to no runoff or um, there wasn't the proper medical facilities. Nothing to do with the track itself. Um, And, you know, I think we all think that, you know, if you run off a circuit, you know, nobody wants you to get hurt. God forbid anything worse. But, you know, you shouldn't just be able to drive back on at basically, certainly, at, at, at nothing more than perhaps a very small time penalty. So, yeah, interesting. Mm. So we've discussed what a, what a great circuit is from the point of view of the driver, but what about a spectator? I mean, what we want is a circuit that encourages overtaking, isn't it? That allows cars to run close to one another, as close to one another as they can. Um, so what, what do we think that looks like? I suppose it's long straights into tight corners, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so much of it is down to the design of the car, isn't it? I mean, you can design the best circuit of the world, but if you've got cars with huge amounts of downforce and unbelievable brakes, you know, you're going to have, you know, the cars are going to struggle to follow each other and, you know, and the braking zones will be very, very short. And those two things, I think, more than anything else, prevent overtaking. Um, so I guess from a circuit design point of view, what you don't want is a fast corner leading onto a long straight. Um, if you're interested in formula racing cars, if cars are going to have lots and lots of downforce, because, you know, if you can't follow a car, um, and I, somebody told me recently how far away a car has to be from the car in front before it is adversely affected by um, its wake. And it's such a long way. I mean, it's hundreds of yards. So if you can't follow a car through a really tight corner, um, then you won't be able to, sorry, through a really quick corner, you won't be able to overtake it at the end of the straight to come. So, um so yeah so you need i think you need tight corners going on to like long straights going into tight corners um which, which sounds boring but yeah. i can't think in this downforce enhanced era um how else you do it of course the way to do it is to get rid of the downforce because you know changing the circuit and making circuits you know quite boring with slow corners and long straights which is the only way you can encourage overtaking is really symptom management isn't it um you're just um it's you know it's a sticking plaster when your real problem is in fact um not the circuits but the cars that are are going around them but you need um you know we mustn't just think that you know cars being interesting on tracks is all about overtaking uh you need corners you know you need really fast corners i mean do you, do you lewis in quali at spa this year <laughs> flat flat through pool pulling five and a bit g um you know that to me is as interesting and spectacular and incredible to watch as you know, any number of amazing overtaking manoeuvres. So you need corners like that. But, you know, there's a balance, isn't there? Because one of the great tragedies of Spa is that some of its greatest corners, particularly Blanchiment and Eau Rouge, are just acceleration zones now. They're not corners at all. They're, they're extensions of the straight. 
And so, you know, and now, you know, Puan is flat if you're Lewis and it's quali. Well, believe me, next year it'll be flat for everybody. And the year after, you know, it won't just be in quali, it'll be in the race. And then Puan will stop to come in the corner. Um, so, you know, we want, I think, we want to see cars at high speed going through not quite flat corners. There's a great thing on YouTube. Um, somebody has posted... Uh, Eau Rouge down the years okay so you can get into a car going through Eau Rouge in I don't know 1990 or something so over the last 30 years or something and every year um, they've got on board of cars going through and you can you can you can hear people braking I think in the earlier they may be shifting down and then they brake less and then they you can tell they're just lifting and then you can tell they're barely lifting at all and then they're flat and you can just see how the progression through that corner has you know, been overtaken by technology over the last 30 years. Um, so, yeah, that's what that, that, that's what I want. I want I also I also like combinations. I love watching Formula One cars go through the Beckett's complex at Silverstone, just watching them change direction, because I think when they're going really hard in one direction to immediately really hard in the other, that's where on telly, because telly slows cars down so much, doesn't it? That's where you actually get one of the greatest sensations of speed. Mm. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And that's what they've done at Cota. They've sort of mimicked that Magus Beckett sequence, haven't they? Yeah. Um, and you get that same, even on, yeah, even on TV, you can see how quickly they're changing direction and get a sense of how much speed they're carrying through there. Um, but it, uh, yeah, the reality is it's, it's not necessarily the, you know, a circuit that's great for drivers, is great for spectators. It's, it's, not, ne- it's not quite the case, is it really? Um, I'll, I'll tell you, can I tell you what I think is the best spectator circuit in the, U- in the UK? And you're going to think I'm mad. The indie circuit at Brands. Yeah, because it's a bowl. Because it's a bowl and it's short. You know, there is somewhere you can stand where you can see the entire circuit. Um, and love Silverstone, though I do. It's, it's, it's a terrible spectator circuit. Because it's so flat um, and, you know, you can see the corner or two that you're in front of. Um, and, and that's kind of it. Uh, whereas the indie circuit at Brands, you know, you, you never have to wonder what's going on because it's all played out in front of you. And I love, I love particularly as a spectator, if I, yeah, I mean, that is, that's, that, that's, you know, a wonderful place to go and watch cars race. Yeah, it's true as well with Lydon Hill, which is a, just a wonderful little track, isn't it? Um, used a lot for rallycross. And that's one of the great things about it is, you know, if you're where, almost wherever you're stood, you can see the whole thing and just watch a race play out the whole thing. Yeah, and exactly. You, it's really you important. Don't really, you don't really need commentary or, you know, a, a visible sort of leaderboard or anything. You just watch the racing. It's fantastic. Um, so there, I think there's another topic that we want to get onto um, because, you know, it's, it's all very well. You and, you and I sat here talking about which racetracks are great to drive, but... You know, the thing is, anyone can go and drive them, actually, because they're all open as they all run track days. Um, and as long as you've got a sort of vaguely suitable car, you can go and drive these incredible circuits. It's it's one of the great things about being, a, you know, a, a petrol head, particularly in the UK, because our uh, sort of circuit density is so high. Um, and it's worth us having a, a bit of a conversation, I think, about what it takes to start in track days to prep your car which circuits you should go to and so on um because some people listening will be desperate to get started and have no clue how to go about doing it um so what 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 do you reckon do you think you just go to your nearest circuit or should people be a little bit canny and choose a track that's not going to be too demanding i think there are very few things which reward 
a bit of thought in advance more than choosing the venue of your first ever track day because you know if nothing else if it goes wrong it could also be your last ever track day and i'm not being morbid there i think I, all i mean is that you're gonna have such a crap time you, you wouldn't do it again yeah never never to do it again the other thing i would say about track days uh, and i know the track day market's gone nuts recently um because i think there are a lot of frustrated people out there um who um you know who've been cooped up at home and it's actually it's a really covid friendly um way of you know letting off steam a bit because you're alone in the car um and as long as you're a bit sensible when you're out of the car um you can just go and drive the nuts off a car around a track uh, and have a great time and you know it's not like you're standing in a big crowd of people but anyway so um now i would really do your research um look at the various tracks look at the various track date organizers um do your due diligence you know how many people have turned up at a track uh with a really noisy car and discovered that they can't get on because it's a 96 decibel day um or how many people have had accidents to track days and not realized that their road car insurance doesn't cover them uh how many people have gone to track days thinking they'd just be able to go out and drive and find that in fact it's a session day and you're in session you're in group b and you can only go on the track when group b is on and on and on and on um there are so many aspects um of track days also look at the sort of cars that go to that organized i mean i was at an rma track day the other day absolutely amazing but i was staggered by the kit that was out there it was all top of the line you know porsches and ferraris and quite a few race cars and that sort of thing and if you've just gone out and bought yourself a 1500 quid mx5 and are nervously thinking <laughs> about doing your first ever track day you don't really want to be out there with that lot um so yeah also um do not be um too proud to have some tuition you know all the decent track day organizations um offer tuition it's not that expensive it's like sort of like 50 quid for half an hour and, and you, you should um get to sit next to a bloke who is an odds um instructor so if you're odds that's the whatever it is the association of racing driver whatever um but that means basically they're proper the you know, odds qualification is not an easy thing to get um and they are qualified not just to drive cars very fast but how to teach other people to do it too um and you know what you'll find for that half hour investment um you'll not only have you know 10 times more fun um than you would without it you'll go much faster and you'll stand a much better chance of coming home with your car in one piece so now i would really i would set aside you know thick end of a i would really really think about it and think about you know don't just do the lazy thing and go to the track that's next door or you know 20 miles up the road because unless it happens to be the one you really really want to go to um go somewhere you really want to go now you might want to go to um quite a i'm just trying to think of a circuit that's quite central and quite easy to learn and not to somewhere like mallory park uh, really nice quite a small circuit uh, not that many corners not that complicated um, you know probably a very good place to go and um, have your introduction um, or you may just want to go and scare yourself witless at which stage I cannot <laughs> recommend Thruxton too much um, you know get down to Thruxton and God, you'll you know <laughs> you'll know you've had a day out after a day going around there um, but just you know I don't think there's any right or wrong to it just you know just work out what you want from a day like that um and find the place and find the organization um that's best or most likely to deliver that for you 
Um, there are still track day organisers who will do novice only days or novice sessions. Some some track days are actually uh, split into different groups based on experience, which is quite a handy thing. Um, so you, yeah, you're absolutely right. Do your do your research and work out exactly what kind of day you're booking yourself onto. It's also there's a lot to think about. You know, you need to make sure your car is properly prepped. You don't you know, you don't need a particularly special car at all. No, um, not at all. But but you you need your tire pressures right. Um, you need to make sure you're allowing it to cool down at the end of each uh, session before you come straight into the pits. Uh, silly things like you, you don't want to be putting the handbrake on. Um, and, you know, there's there's so much advice out there. You'll you'll be able to pick up everything that you need to know just by reading around. But you know, there are silly things that might not even occur to you, such as at the end of a, a long day of track day driving, you're going to be exhausted, and if you've got 200 miles to get home, you know that that's going to be that's going to be like hard work. Um, and there, I think there are some circuits that lend themselves more to. The novice track day driver, the Bedford Autodrome um, is quite a good one because there's, if you hit something at Bedford, I think you, you get a plaque you, you on you the wall well somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a rare, it's a rare occurrence. You can, you can uh, do it. You, but, uh, I sound like I speak from experience. I promise you I've never hit anything at Bedford, but I, I've come close and I've seen others do it. But no, you're absolutely right. It is, uh, it's, and, yeah, and there are lots of different circuits there, aren't there? And lots of different combinations and yeah. I've, I've been onto the grass a few times at Bedford, but if you haven't, you're just not trying hard enough, are you? Um, the, the, the other thing that we should address quickly is those track experience days. They do, um, they do days at Bedford, don't they? But the thing is, we need to be quite clear about what sort of day we're, we're discussing here, don't we? Because there are some where you pay 60 quid and drive a 10-year-old Gallardo for four laps and you can't do more than 6,000 RPM. And those days are pretty hopeless. Um, but there are others. And the, the Palmer Sport days at Bedford are sort of among the best, aren't they? Where they, they really let you have a go in one or maybe a, a small handful of cars um, and also give you tuition along the way. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the Palmer Sport days is, you know, with all these days, wherever you go, they always stick an instructor in a car with you because it's frankly their car. The difference is, is that with most other circuits, um, certainly where I've been, the instructors are there to slow you down. They're there to make sure that you don't um, overcook it. At the Palmer Sport days, they're absolutely there to speed you up. Um, and, you know, I guarantee you end up going way, way faster than them sitting next to you than you ever would have done um, if you'd just been there on your own. Um, and so, you, and, and that's how you learn stuff, isn't it? And that's how you have fun. Um, but, you know, I also appreciate that, you know, um, the there used to be a company called Mithril Racing down at Goodwood, which and they had some amazing old stuff. They had some classic Astons and that sort of thing, you know, quite, you know, quite not fragile, but delicate stuff, I guess. And, you know, they didn't, they, you know, and at a circuit like Goodwood, where if you come off the circuit, you pretty much have had an accident. Um, and, you know, and that's very much just about the experience. It's just, a, you know, you get to drive one of those cars and, okay, you may not get to drive it very fast, but at least you've driven it. So, Again, it just comes back to decide, you know, there's so much choice out there, isn't it? There? There's so many tracks, so many different sorts of experiences. Um, there are companies who will just lend you cars, not particularly special cars, but if you don't want to go and rag your own car around a track, there are other companies you can go and rent cars from and you can rag their car around a track. So, you know, there's pretty much, there's nothing, almost nothing you can't do. You might struggle to get in a modern Formula One car, but short of that, you can go and drive single seaters, you can drive sports cars, you can drive tin tops yeah there's literally you can you can choose what you want to do 
Um, and that's why I said at the at the top of this how important it is just to just to do your research. Um, one thing I would say if you're thinking about doing your first track day in your first car and you've got perhaps you know a slightly elderly car um, that you bought quite um, affordably, it would be worth just getting you know someone you know uh, a local mechanic or just to do a what we call a spanner check just to make sure that. You know, the wheel bearings are up for it. The tyres haven't got any bulges in them. The, you know, all the suspension is nice and tight. The front tracking's not out of whack. And, and just you know, a tiny bit of basic maintenance, which isn't going to cost you an awful lot of money, um, but, you know, will massively increase your chances of, uh, of having a, a good day because, you know, you don't want to turn, get all the way over there and then just discover that, I don't know, a wheel bearing goes on that one. And that's the, you know, that's the end of your day. And you've got to, you know, and it's, you know, drive the car out onto the road, call the AA, pretend it's broken down there and go <laughs> home in a truck. It's not much fun. Um, exactly right. I think there's some good advice in there. Um, well there done, nice. Uh, uh, DN does thing. consumer information. Who, who knew? We won't make a habit of it. Oh, for the avoidance of doubt, we haven't been asked by Palmer Sport or paid by Palmer Sport to say anything nice about their days. That, that was a, a sort of honest recommendation from us. Um, do, do you know, I, it's, it's a year ago this week that I collected my Alpine uh-huh. and it's never been on circuit. Hang your head in shame. Mm, do you think I should? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Of course, I, I, I had. I uh, thought you, you might know, be understanding, but no, okay. No, absolutely, no, 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 no excuse. To, I, I had one uh, which um, Alpine kindly lent me for a little bit um, because it was a left-hand drive pre-production car, which I, I think I think France forgot to ask for back. Um, and I went down and did a day at Thruxton um, in the wet in it, um, and in the wet. I mean, it, you know, they had the, the the boys were out in their you know in their massively fast Porsches and Ferraris and that sort of thing. And I tell you what, the little Alpine in the wet just drove rings around the mall. It was fantastic fun. So yeah, definitely, but only if it's wet. Uh, I, I I get the sense you're trying to wrap this up. So I just need to ask you one question. Um, Go on. Favorite UK circuit. Ah, <sighs> favorite UK circuit. Um it's the end is nigh you've got one track day left at one circuit in the uk where do you go brands gp oh okay excellent so you've gone for a gradient and slightly scary do you know let me tell you let me tell you something good um that was the the first ever sprint race i did and only the second ever race that i did was in a mini challenge in the mini challenge on the brands hatch gp circuit yeah and that series is now the BTCC support series. That's quite there good, isn't go. it? That's quite good. Yeah, and quite a baptism of fire for you. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I would go for. I mean, my my heart will always be at Goodwood. Always, um, I just absolutely adore the place. But actually, just for fun, just for pure. I mean, Goodwood still scares me slightly, and it's quite serious. But just for fun, um, I'll go Donington. Um, Donington to me has that great combination of. It's got some really challenging... Anyone who's driven down the Crane of Curves will know it's got some really challenging bits on it. Um, but there is usually somewhere to go if it goes wrong. And it's, got, it's just got a lovely combination of... a, You know, it's got everything from, you know, second gear chicanes to lots of medium speed stuff. It really flows, um, you know, at least one properly fast corner. Um, and, yeah, and also if you get there early in the season because it's parked next to East Midlands Airport and it's had av gas dripped over it all over the winter it's incredibly slippery so you just go sideways everywhere i've also done a mini challenge race at donnington um 
which was fantastic. And there was a moment mid-race where coming down the Craner curves, as it goes round to the left, I, yeah. got, I went around the outside of the car in front of me and oh. then did him on the brakes on the way into the old hairpin and got past. And I was so busy congratulating myself, he came past me at the next corner. <laughs> We've all done it. We have, we have all done it. But I, I, bet, you, I bet you had a laugh doing it. Um, oh, it's yeah, yeah. super. I, I just love Donington. Um, I think it's, to me, it's that kind of, I mean, it is a compromise between everything I want in a circuit. It's fast enough. It's visually, it's very pretty. It's actually, it's another good spectator circuit, actually, because it's got so much gradient. That's what you need for spectating. You need dimensions. Um, it, yeah, the combination of corners It's very centrally located, so it's easy for almost anyone to get to. Um, and and it's actually, it's very rare you go to Donington and don't see great racing. Mm, yeah, exactly right. Okay, and we're well, not going to pay by Donington either. No, no, no. We should be really, shouldn't we? We're, we're, we're horrible we're at this from a commercial office. point of view. <laughs> uh, okay. All right. Well, let's wrap that one up. Um, yeah, racetracks. God, it's a good topic. That we could probably do that all over again. Um, there we go. So th- thanks everybody for listening. Thanks for downloading. Really appreciate it. Please do remember to check us out on Instagram at DriveNation underscore um, and on Patreon as well. Patreon dot com forward slash drive nation and you can bung us a couple of quid a month if you want to in return for some exclusive content uh oh last thing please rate the podcast and leave a little review for us uh, it makes a big difference um and we'll be back next week to talk to you again yep look forward to it thanks everybody the drive nation podcast with dan prosser and andrew frankel Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 